Hello, we're here with episode 12 of the DNA Show. I'm Damien. And I'm Ian. And we have a guest on today. We have with us Alan Hunkins. Hello, everyone. Cool. So today we're going to be talking about leadership. And Alan is, well, let's first start with uh, how you pronounce your name. Great question. It's not the first time it's come up. Yeah. So my first name is pronounced Alain. It's a French name, so it's not spelled the way it sounds. And uh, yeah, my mother was an immigrant from Brussels, Belgium, but she gave me a name that pretty much none of my classmates could ever pronounce. So. Right. Yeah, it trips me up at the beginning of class Alan. all the time. There you go. Yeah. Cool. So Alan is a leadership expert who connects the science of high performance with the performing art of leadership. His book, Cracking the Leadership Code, Connection, Communication, Collaboration, will be published by Prager Press in November of 2018. So that's something I'm really looking forward to to read as I'm pr- really into leadership books. And it'll be cool to know the author and you know the person behind it. Yeah, and also, um, uh, you are a member of PVCF. Fresh I am. Off, we brought you in because uh, we're trying to, you know, create the connection between leadership skills and CrossFit. Um, you've been with us for how long now? Since September of 2016, so coming up on two years. Yeah. All Thanks. right. Excellent. So cool. welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. So let's kick it off by just talking out a little bit about who you are and how you got into the position that you're in. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's not one of these things that I thought as a child. Oh, I'll grow up and talk about leadership and write a book about it and do this stuff. So I guess to, to really think about the thread as I look backwards, it's really been about, I've always been passionate and curious as to, you know, why do people do what they do? Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of people may, may come to that. But so for me, it started with my family of origin, somewhat unique childhood in that I was raised by a mother and grandmother who were both Holocaust survivors. Wow. And I could definitely tell that kind of in my house, there was definitely something funky. Something was just a little bit off. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't know what it was. And they never talked about it. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized that there was a lot of kind of unspoken stuff that was really driving a lot of their behavior and how they raised me and my brother. So I think that part of my interest in kind of sensitivity and attunement to how people think and act really came out of that. And from there, I studied psychology in school. I actually became a professional actor. I think I was trying to take on new roles. So I really studied performance from the inside out. And then from there, transitioned into kind of doing corporate and leadership facilitation, which I've been doing for about 22 years now. Wow. Okay, cool. Yeah, so. Fun. So... What is something that you are currently working on? Like, well, what does your job entail right now? Well, right now, I've just finished the manuscript right. for this book, Cracking the Leadership Code, mm-hmm. Connection, Communication, Collaboration, which is my first book. It's really based on 20 years of experience of working with literally like tens of thousands of leaders in yeah. lots of different organizations. And it's been a real labor of love. It's one of those things that was in my mind that I wanted to do for you know, probably 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I finally got around and said, I have to make this happen. So. Yeah. That's what. That's the big project right now. You put yourself right. on like a sabbatical or something. I did. I took actually three months off okay. of my usual kind of traveling and working with groups. I thought that in three months I would write a book, and in three months I wrote a book proposal. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a little uh, ambitious with my goals there. Sure. Yeah, hey, that's yeah. pretty good though. Yeah, but I got I got it started then. Good. I got that started. Cool. So let's kick it off by starting uh, talking about. How do you define leadership? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So for me, I think about leadership. um, Some of my favorite, I'm a bit of a leadership geek, so I read lots of books. And one of my favorite, all-time favorite books is a book called The Leadership Challenge by Jim Cousins and Barry Posner. It's now in its, coming out in its sixth edition. And it's totally researched. And what Cousins and Posner, the way they define leadership is they say it is the art of mobilizing others 
to want to struggle towards shared aspirations. Mm. Wow. And what That's I love about what it is a lot. Yeah. What I love about it is the fact that A, it's an art, yeah. right? And B, it's this whole sense, it's the want to. It's not about making people, mm. it's about getting people to want to and actually work. And there's effort involved in leadership because mm-hmm. you're gonna have to do something to get some different result. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's that question of, you know, that's a question of motivation. Mm-hmm. It's a question of inspiration, which I think, you know, for us as CrossFitters, you know, what's my motivation to come to the gym mm-hmm. on a regular basis? You know, what inspires me? What keeps me coming back? Yeah. You know, and then there are the people that are here, and then there are the people who think about something like this, but don't necessarily follow through. Cool. Mm-hmm. cool. So that's where it starts from for me. Yeah. What's, the, what's the biggest difference or I guess we'll go into maybe some different leadership models. Mm-hmm. Is there has it changed over time? Yeah, leadership has very much changed. Yeah. In fact, if we look at it, you know, leadership in terms of organized groups didn't exist a whole lot before the beginning of the 20th century. And this has to do, and you know, we're going to kind of step way big picture here. Yeah. But just from a pre-industrial revolution, mm-hmm. I mean, basically all commerce, buying and selling and stuff, was built out of your homes or farms. It was very small scale. And so people worked at crafts. And then with the beginning of factories, you had these big organizations and they had suddenly labor. And so the the beginning of that was very much, it wasn't seen as people are our greatest resource. It was, hey, I need someone who can stand on this assembly line for 10 hours a day and, and move these widgets. Mm-hmm. And so leadership was very directorial it was very command and control Mm -hmm. and that's the way things continued on and unfortunately we've inherited a lot of that leadership legacy today Mm -hmm. the only problem is that's not the world that we live in anymore right right? people aren't standing at an assembly line for the most part and not having to think i mean henry ford the founder of ford motor company once famously said why is it every time that um, I want a pair of hands, they come with a brain attached. I mean, they didn't want workers to think, they just wanted them to do. But, you know, we live in what's called sometimes now the knowledge worker age. And that today, you know, people at the front lines have to be your eyes and ears. I mean, the way things have changed. So now the world is much more around leaders who need to be connecting and communicating and collaborating and being much more facilitators of people's work as opposed to commanders and controllers. Mm-hmm. So leadership has definitely changed. Okay. Interesting. So the first part is connection. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So this is to me where where leadership really starts. And I think a great example uh, is just I was walking into the gym and we're recording this in, in the gym here today. And uh, as I'm walking in, I went, hey, Gabby, you know, hey, Brian, who I was passing. Hey, Maria, you know, hey, Perry. And I really and, and just to stop and think about that, realizing when I come here, I know, if not everyone, a lot of people's names yeah. and this sense that leadership is not some abstract entity. It's really, it's a personal connection, mm-hmm. you know, and that the idea of people don't follow, and certainly when I say follow, I mean willingly follow. It's that want to. Mm-hmm. People don't follow an idea. They follow someone that they believe sees them and cares about them. Mm-hmm. And I think at CrossFit, there's a lot of intentionality mm-hmm. around creating this community where people are seen For and sure. part of. And it's and it's reinforced on a daily basis, the idea of put your name on the whiteboard, let's go around. Mm-hmm. And then the idea is that here, we're not just seen as 
you know, in our job title, which, you know, for me would be athlete, for you would be coach. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, all right, so we're going to do a question today. Tell us one, what was like one of Damien's questions? What was your favorite breakfast cereal growing up? (laughs) Right? Um, You know, and so... so It's always about food. Of course it is, yeah. (laughs) So this this idea that, you know, I want to get to know you more as a whole person. One of the things that's really going on a lot in larger organizations is this initiative where they realize they want people to feel comfortable bringing their whole selves to work. Mm -hmm. And so this whole sense of how can I be fully me and, and, and fully engaged? Because if I feel like I can only bring part of myself, there's no way I'm going to be able to perform at my best. Yeah, it's not fulfilling. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's kind of where it starts. And so so connection starts with that. And then there's another interesting piece around connection too is that one of the main foundation points of connection is is having credibility, right? Mm-hmm. So as a leader, basically, as I think Kuzis and Posner say, they say, you know, if you don't believe the messenger, you won't believe the message, right? And so this sense that people really have to believe in you and what, what you're offering and what, mm-hmm. where you're trying to guide people to. Mm-hmm. And one of the things here around modeling that, I mean, I love the fact that the coaches here aren't just, you know, they don't just show up and coach and leave. They're all members of the community. They're all in the wads next to you, working hard, struggling at certain things, not struggling, you know. So, so you get to really learn from people who are leading by example, yeah. you know, which, which is a great thing. And, you know, and just while we're talking about coaching, too, it's interesting. Do you actually know where the word coach comes from? No. Now, the, the, this is the, the, the origins of the word coach. Yeah. So, it's, okay, I'll give you a clue here. So if you think back before we drove cars, how did people generally get around? Horses and buggies, right? Mm-hmm. So we had these horses and buggies, right? The wagon in the back. And if you think about that, when they were going, there was someone on top, you know, in terms of behind the horses, a team of horses, and someone who was driving the horses, you know, had the reins and driving the horses. Do you know what they call that person? A coach. coach. No, they were called the driver. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone says it's the coach. No, but there was somebody else, too. And the somebody else was the coachman. Now, they call him a coach person at the time, usually a man, coachman. And the coachman would sit, interestingly enough, on top of the carriage, usually, because they would try to get, stick their neck out and see the road ahead of the horses because the driver sitting behind the horses couldn't see the road in front of them. Mm. And so for me, I love this idea of what a coach does Mm. is a coach sees what you can't see so that you can get to your destination as quickly as possible and with as few bumps as possible. Love it. And that's really, isn't that what coaches do, right? It's like yeah. you can see things. And the idea here is, you know, as I'm sure many members here say, is like, well, why do you go there? You know, it's, you know, more expensive than just going to, you know, your, your on the corner gym. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but I have an opportunity to have someone who can see things and I have access and tap into resources of coaching, of being able to see things. And so the ability to progress faster and, you know, think of the fitness goals and gains mm-hmm. that we can make in a place like this is just amazing versus me trying to do it on my own. Yeah, no, I like that. So, so that's really kind of where, where connection. Really. We're going to steal that and use that as our marketing computer. Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> so I have a question on yeah the scalability of connection. Like we have a few hundred members in our gym and I feel pretty comfortable that I know probably 95% of their names. I could put face, uh, names to their faces. How do you do that in a larger business where you might have thousands of employees and the person that's in a leadership role might not ever see their face. Yeah, that's a great, great point. You know, it does become more challenging. Now, the good news, before I can answer your question directly, yeah. the good news is, it's part of it is as, as an executive, let's say you're leading tens of thousands of people, is to create this cascading effect where every leader at every level 
recognizes the power that they have. Because even though, let's say, Damien, you're now the CEO of a company of 100,000 people, Mm -hmm. you're not going to have direct contact with them on a daily basis. But there will be some leader, whether it's a supervisor or a manager, someone who does. Mm -hmm. And it's for them to understand the power and the and the responsibility that they have because ultimately leadership is the relationship you have with your immediate direct when you call them manager supervisor leader that's the biggest difference Mm -hmm. right it's someone who's not far away that said there are some leaders who have done some pretty amazing things so actually in the book i write about uh doug conant who is a former ceo of campbell soup and one thing that he did is on a daily basis, he and his executive assistants would spend between 30 and 45 minutes a day scouring his in- incoming email and mail and the company's intranet for news about the various employees. And then he would take all that information and he actually had this habit, consistent habit, of writing thank you notes oh. to employees. In fact, in the course of his 10-year career, Okay, you have to do the math on this. Mm-hmm. In 10 years, he wrote approximately 30,000 thank you notes wow. to the employees. And just to let you know, handwritten com- notes. Handwritten <laughs> yeah, notes. Right. And the company only had 20,000 employees at the time. Wow. Right? So for him, he's a huge believer in the power of making the connection personal. Mm-hmm. So I think all of us, you know, we may not go as far to the extreme as Doug Conant. But where are there opportunities for us to reach out and connect to the people who are here with us right now mm-hmm. and to do it slightly more frequently, whether it's getting to, trying to remember their names, which is something that I still work at and try to get better at, mm-hmm. and then just to say, hey, Ian, how are you? Hey, Damien. It's just making that personal connection, yeah. you know, because ultimately at the end of all of this leadership, it's a relationship between people. This is mm-hmm. a very human thing. It can't be reduced to some abstract science. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been re- I just read... Um... Leaders Eat Last. Yeah, book. Simon Sinek, yeah, great, great yeah, book. Yeah. yeah, and he talks a lot about empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you do you think there's specific qualities? I mean, besides the, those like connection and stuff like that, those are yeah. the kind of action words. But are there qualities that you think that are necessary for oh. a good leader? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I I believe that empathy is the basis of connection. In fact, the book has a whole chapter. Okay. That empathy is the is the basis of connection because. Until people really feel that you care about them and have that human connection. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it. I mean, I think as humans, we all have these great, I'll call them BS detectors, right? Like you can tell when someone is insincere, phony, and fake and just want something from you. And at the flip side, when people are genuine. And so what empathy starts with is, first of all, it's taking time mm-hmm. and being present and then listening, which sounds like it should be so simple to do, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And yet... In this busy, everyone's so, I'm so busy, I'm crazy busy world, a lot of people just don't take that time. And it's so, if you think about people that you have respected and admired, I mean, just think for yourself of your favorite leader, whether it was on a sports team or a teacher or an early boss or a parent or a role model, not someone abstract, like I'm not saying Gandhi, unless you've met him, you know, but like someone you know personally, what were some of the qualities that they exhibited? And I bet you some of those had to do with they really saw me. They really mm-hmm. spent time with me. Mm-hmm. They actually made me feel like I was important. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how rare that actually is. I mean, all the data on research on the state of leadership is that most people, I mean, the majority of people don't feel like someone actually thinks and cares about them on a regular, consistent basis, mm-hmm. which is sad. Mm-hmm. Cool. When you're talking about a big company with several different levels of leaders, how important do you think it is for all of them to have the same vision? 
Like if, if the CAO has a certain vision for the company, but the people under him, his supervisors don't have that same vision, how would, how would that, the, the CEO in that position translate his vision onto those supervisors? That's great, David. I mean, so the challenge with kind of large organizations and this idea of vision is that the vision, you know, there's lots of companies that have vision statements and mission statements that they frame in fancy plaques and they put them on walls. And if you ask people what they are, number one, they couldn't tell you what they are. And number two, some people don't feel that they're living them out. Right. I mean, ultimately, that isn't the kind of thing that you come up with one fine day in an executive meeting and frame on a wall and say, okay, we're done. So, you know, clap your hands and you're done. It really comes down to how do you make sure that the people that you're working with co-create a shared vision. Mm. And so, yeah, I have a vision. Let's say I'm, a, like you said, CIO, and then I got to work with the, the leaders below me, and which is a funny word, by the way. Notice we said a below and above, how our language, even the hierarchy, mm-hmm. is like, oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm below them. Yeah. Just that's another, mm-hmm. that's another little remnant of our hierarchical command and control leadership right. model yeah. that still people relate to. Mm-hmm. But this idea that um, when you are creating a vision, it's got to be something that people cannot just buy into, but they have to feel that it's theirs and actually take some ownership of what that's about, which actually deals with, and we can talk about collaboration, but one of the key tenets of collaborating is people have to own it because if they don't own it, they're not going to live it. Mm -hmm. And so that's, and then, so how as a leader, do you create an environment where people will take ownership for themselves? Mm -hmm. And that's the challenge. Interesting. Great answer. Thanks. Yeah, no, for sure. How does communication play into leadership? Oh, gosh. In every way. You know, it's funny. When they poll employees and they say, what's the number one biggest challenge that you have at work? About 80% usually come back and say communication. And one of my favorite quotes around uh, communication comes from George Bernard Shaw, the mm-hmm. author and playwright. And he said, Communica- um, the problem with communication is the illusion that it has been accomplished. <laughs> so, oh, um, man, you know, I, I, just, I just love that. And... Uh, and so just thinking about that is that um, one of the things that humans that we tend to suffer from is something called a projection bias. Psychologists call this a projection bias. And basically what it is, it's the unconscious assumption that other people are thinking and feeling the same thing that you are. Yeah. So the challenge with communication is something is super clear in your mind, but you assume that, oh, because it's clear in my mind, it must be super clear to everyone. And a way that you think about what we do here, I love the we at CrossFit Mm -hmm. do, is think about the beginning of class and going to the whiteboard. Mm -hmm. And so what we do in in this process is we make the implicit explicit. And so even though we can look, I mean, most of us, if we're coming here on a regular basis, I can look at the the WAD board and I can go, yeah, I kind of get what we're doing, but we go through it anyway, right? Mm -hmm. And we go through, here it is, does everyone understand? Are there any questions? And then also... The idea of creating clarity is then, all right, so if you want to scale this here, different versions of modification. For example, you know, today's workout, today's wad, handstand push-up. So here are your different variations. So walking through so that there can be no doubt. Because when people have clarity, it gets it, it makes it actually psychologically and physiologically allows them to relax mm-hmm. because they're not spending a lot of nervous energy going, what am I supposed to do? What does this mean? How does this work? Because when people are in that more excited state, they actually can't perform at their best. I mean, just think about it. When you are, you know, cr- whether it's crushing a wad or just performing anything in your life, when you're at your best, how are you feeling? Just, yeah, just relaxed. 
you're relaxed, you're calm, mm-hmm. you're focused, you're positive, mm-hmm. right? So when, you know, no one has ever answered that question and said, yeah, when I'm really anxious and I'm really nervous and I'm scattered, I perform my best. It just, you can't do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You just can't do it. So, so that is a big piece around, around communication. No, for sure. Um, and, uh, and also I think that, um, the other key piece around that as it relates to CrossFit is I think for us as athletes is learning how to communicate and listen to yourself. Right. I know I've been here nearly two years and in that first year, I wasn't listening to myself a whole lot. Like my ego got in the way, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, oh yeah, put on more weight and do this. But I wasn't really using good form and that's how injuries start to happen. Mm-hmm. So I think a, so it's a key thing around communication is creating clarity. You know, first of all, knowing what it is you want to say and making sure that you are creating an understanding check. In the book, I call it asking for a receipt, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about every major transaction in your life, whether it's when you're born, when you get married, when you buy a house or a car, you get a receipt, right? A birth certificate, a marriage certificate, right? All the, You ask for a receipt because it's important. You want to make sure there's a confirmation. And yet so often in regular life, day to day, we don't do that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, just a kind of side note. A good lesson from this actually comes from the fast food industry. So it turns out that years ago when they first created fast food drive throughs um, all the drive through they were making horrible mistakes. People would order their stuff, and then they would just drive up to the window, and there would be huge amounts of mistakes, which obviously cost the restaurants a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what they discovered was, what if the person who was taking the order said, let me repeat your order back to you? And that, of course, made a difference, yeah. right? And the way I see it is, look, if it's good enough for $3.19 Crunchwrap Supreme, isn't the stuff that you're talking about worth getting a receipt for too? Mm-hmm. So I think this whole idea of asking for a receipt. Asking That's cool. I like that. Yeah. Making so sure that you, people are clear. Yeah. How do you create an environment where both the leader and the... You kind of constituent follower. Yes, yeah, yes. I know. It's a funny word. Yeah. yeah. Um, how do they both feel comfortable communicating with each other? Well, I think the leader sets the tone on that. Mm-hmm. And I think that up front, it's important that a leader sets expectations about what communication can look like, how it is, and also showing that, showing, when I say showing, it's through their words and their actions, is that they invite feedback and for people to challenge the process. You know, the nature of leadership in a lot of organizations, by its nature, mm-hmm. it's hierarchical. Mm-hmm. And there's a power dynamic, and we don't like to talk about that, but, you know, that power involves control, influence. It could involve my future professional promotions, salaries. So there's a lot at risk here for people to speak up. So a leader has to be particularly, you know, overt about welcoming that kind of communication and the willingness to adjust to that, mm-hmm. you know, instead of, you know, a lot of people have had the experience where they are in a meeting and at the end of the meeting, a leader might stand up and say, okay, that's it. Any questions? But they're saying any questions, but their their arms are crossed. They have a stern face. And so the real message they're saying is, if you have a question, you are a stupid idiot. Mm-hmm. And so no one asks questions, right? Yeah. So how as leaders do we model openness and willingness to take feedback, mm-hmm. which takes humility, which, and that's not necessarily a trait that a lot of people associate with leadership, or at least in that old school leadership, right? They still kind of have inherited that commanding leader who's that know-it-all, mm-hmm. when in fact that may be the most dangerous position to take as yeah. a leader. So. Yeah. Cool. All right.
We got connection, we got communication, and now we got collaboration. Yeah, so collaboration. So this really, starting with collaboration, we get into this whole concept of motivation, right? Yeah. Mm. So there's another great quote from General Dwight Eisenhower who said, motivation is the art of people, of getting people to do what you want them to do because they want to do it, right? So, and if you think just for yourself, getting motivated, I mean, think about New Year's resolutions, right? Think about how challenging all this stuff is and like wh wh what's really going on with all that. You know, um, there's a really funny story about the, the film director, Alfred Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. So Hitchcock was known for his disdain of actors. He really didn't like actors at all. In fact, uh, early in his career, he was known for saying that actors are cattle. And then when he was asked about this later in his career, he said, oh no, I've been misquoted. He said, uh, I never said that all actors are cattle. What I said is that actors should be treated like cattle. <laughs> That's better. And uh, so anyway, he was working on a film called Torn Curtain, and the, the star in the movie was Paul Newman. Mm. Now, Paul Newman had made a couple of movies before this, so he was a pretty well up-and-coming star. He was an Academy Award nominee already, so you know, he was kind of doing okay. And at one point, Paul Newman came over to Alfred Hitchcock, and he had a question about what his motivation was. You know, he's an actor. He wants some, some cues on his technique. And he says, uh, Mr. Hitchcock, I'm working on this scene. Like, what's my motivation here? And so Hitchcock turns around as the story goes. He says, your motivation, Mr. Newman, is your salary. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, well. so, so here's the funny thing about that, is that if you think about it, if the goal of leadership and motivation we can't really make anyone else be motivated, right? Mm -hmm. We can't. Like, that's the dirty little secret is you can't actually motivate anyone else. I mean, it's hard enough to motivate yourself. Mm -hmm. But what you can do as a leader is you can create an environment in which the likelihood that people will motivate themselves is more likely to be happening. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's what CrossFit does so yeah. much. And so in the world of behavioral economics, mm -hmm. that, that concept is known as choice architecture. And so I'll just give you a couple of examples. Yeah, you please. might have heard of these. So in my choice architecture, it's basically what uh, the economist who won the Nobel Prize on this, his name is Richard Thaler. He has a book called Nudge. And he talks about nudging people towards decisions. So for example, if you want people, and maybe you do this with some of your clients, but uh, if you want people to eat smaller portions of food, you know, one way to help nudge them in that direction it's to actually serve the food on smaller plates. Mm -hmm. You've heard that one, right? Mm -hmm. So that one, right? Or if you want people to become, to sign up to become organ donors, you're gonna have a huge higher rate of return if you make the default a yes than as a no, yeah. mm -hmm. right? So basically you mm -hmm. think about, it's creating an environment where the default settings mm -hmm. involve people doing as little thinking as possible, right? If you think about it, what we're saying is as little thinking, what I mean by that is we're trying to make this an unconscious habit. Right? And if you think about leadership, ultimately, is a practice. It's a practice of skills, much in the same way as that becoming an athlete is a practice. And that practice is a cycle where you go from unconscious, incompetence, incompetence, right? Then to, right? Then to conscious incompetence, to conscious incompetence, to unconscious competence. I'll give you an example. So I walk in here on my first day, and they say, okay, we're going to do double-unders. I don't even know what a double-under is, mm -hmm. right? And they're like, oh, it's jumping over a rope. I was like, oh, I, I can't do that, right? So now suddenly I've gone from unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence. Like, oh, that's what that is? But then over time, I start practicing and then I start, oh, I got one. And then eventually, ideally, you know, as I see some people can do is eventually you get to this place where you can do it automatically. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing. We're actually training the muscle memory for all this stuff, right? Interesting. 
So would the example, would an example of nudging someone in a CrossFit setting, like if a member comes up to me and says, what weight should I do? Like, would it, me telling them what weight to do, is that a form of nudging well, them? Well, yeah, it is. It can be, yeah. for sure. It's, it's, I'd say it's a kind of an influence. It's also, it's, but also you might be, as you've said to me sometimes, you're going to say, well, what's your goal in this workout? Are you looking to get stronger? You're looking to get the Metcon, mm-hmm. you know, so realizing what you're getting out of what your intention is. Mm-hmm. So I think that when it comes, so going back and following the thread on motivation, so if you can't create, you can't motivate someone, but you can create an environment. So from my point of view, there's four kind of essential needs that people need filled mm-hmm. in order to be or satisfied in order to kind of become motivated. Mm-hmm. And I'll just kind of list all four first. So the first one is around safety. The second is around energy. And I call those the primary needs. And then mm-hmm. the, the third, which I call the third and fourth, I call the performance needs. The third one is around purpose, having a need for purpose satisfied. And the fourth is around ownership. So... Those are the needs. So, I'll, so in terms of safety, and we touched on this a little bit already, but mm-hmm. this idea is that if people don't feel safe, safe, mm-hmm. they can't bring themselves. And it's interesting because safety is not, there's physical safety. And mm-hmm. obviously here, when we think about proper form and technique, mm-hmm. you know, making sure like I know the rules of CrossFit are if you don't know what weight, the answer is the empty barbell, right? <laughs> That's about safety, right? So making sure that you are clear on what you're doing. There's physical safety, but beyond that, there's the psychological safety, right? right? right. Is that sense that people can show up. So yeah. the fact that, for example, PBCF is so open and affirming and, you know, how great and wonderful that is that everyone feels so welcome here and we are, to put that out there, um, how important that is, right? So mm-hmm. that people can feel like this is a place where I belong, going back to that. And then again, you can see this ties back to connection, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's that whole sense of safety involved mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. Right? And then once you have that, then you find ways to make sure that people are energized. Now that sort of is inherent in the work that we do at CrossFit, but one thing that and I just want to call this out, that CrossFit builds on, that a lot of the science of high performance touches on, is the important the, the importance of using work-rest ratios, or mm-hmm. interval training, work-rest. Mm-hmm. And that's in true, not just with a wad of high intensity followed by recovery and then high intensity, that whole kind of going through and doing that kind of a, of a high-intensity interval training, but it also is in life, too. So, for example, for any of us who have ever been in a meeting that has gone on like two hours, two and a half hours, and then you're realizing that I need a break, I need a break, right? So the truth is, like the studies, the psychological studies show that, you know, after 90 minutes, if Mm -hmm. people don't have a break, they're going to start to deplete, their performance is going to deplete over time. And if you look at how long any kind of high performance athlete generally, and these include Olympians, like if they do two or three training sessions a day, they pretty much cap at 90 minutes. They don't do three-hour trainings for, like, they don't, I train for 10 hours straight. No, no one does that, right? They'll break it into smaller components. Mm-hmm. And in those components, there's more rest. Mm-hmm. So building recovery in between the exertion is key, right? So that's a piece. So that helps you to be more, more, more motivated. Mm-hmm. And then from there, going on to thinking about uh, the performance needs. So then getting into purpose. So why do you do what you do, right? I love the fact that here at PVCF, there's the goal board, you know? Mm-hmm. So what's your reason? Why does it matter? And the reason that it's so important to tap into purpose is because when something really matters to you, you bring more energy to it, right? It's what gets the 6 a.m.ers up here every day, right? Shout out to the 6 a.m.ers. Yeah, always. <laughs> right, always, right? Um, but they're getting up, right? They, there are other things you could be doing, like sleeping, mm-hmm. like, which I do often. But uh, is realizing that like, when something matters to you, you bring more energy to it. And mm-hmm. so the dedication to show up and follow up mm-hmm. is that, right? And then that, and that leads to that sense of ownership, right? It's funny, sometimes I'll ask, like, do you ever rent a car? 
Mm. Right? Have you ever rented a car? Yeah. How, how do you treat your rental car compared to like your regular car? <laughs> not, the not the same, right? <laughs> okay, full disclosure, I go over speed bumps a little faster. <laughs> right. Backseat's been known to be a trash can, right? Yeah. So the idea is that when you have a rentership mentality, a renter, you don't treat things the same way than when you know it's you take ownership. And what I love about CrossFit, if you think about the board at the end of class, right? What are we, write your score up on the board. So, you know, if you didn't get it, you know, you're not cheating anyone but yourself, right? So just honest, open transparency and accountability. And the idea of measuring what we do on a daily basis, you know, it's often been said that what's measured gets managed and mm -hmm. what gets focused on. So you could take this idea of, you know, we measure the number of reps, how many deadlifts you get in the wad today, right? Well, I could say, you know, how many times did I say thank you to the people that I work with mm -hmm. today? Mm -hmm. You know, how many times did I say I love you to my kids, right? <laughs> I mean, today. I mean, there's, I could measure, I could put metrics and put up a whiteboard and do any of these things. I mean, yeah. Sugar Wad is a great example of mm -hmm. a, way to, a way to keep all that going. So, okay. so that's there too, for sure. Um, and uh, so, you know, and ultimately when people tap into that sense of purpose and ownership, they feel like they're able to contribute to something greater than mm -hmm. themselves, which able able to be able to do that. So, so in that same instance where a member comes up to me and asks me a question about what they should be doing in the workout, do you think it would be more valuable for them, for me to like, ask them what they're what's the driving force behind what they're doing and maybe have them answer the question to a certain extent? Well, yes, yes, I do. I mean, ultimately, even if you end up with the same answer to the mm -hmm. question, there's something about someone discovering it on their own mm -hmm. that lends itself to, when I came up with it myself, I'm more invested, mm -hmm. right? It's that whole sense of what we call kind of taking ownership and, and kind of taking your own choice. What's, mm -hmm. you know, if people feel like this was my choice and I made my choice consciously mm -hmm. as opposed to, well, someone else told me, right. I'm more invested in the outcome. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. No, for sure. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we close off or is there anything you wish we would have asked you in this podcast? Great. You know, we could talk about so much, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so much here. Um, you know, we, we could do a part two. At yeah. Some point. At some point, it'd be great <laughs> to do a part two. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, leadership whether it's in an organization or in one's own life, because all these things apply, whether you're just leading yourself, your family, this all applies. It comes down to leadership isn't something you think about. It's something you do. It's in your, what you say and what you do through your behaviors. And, uh, you gotta live it. Gotta live it. Yeah. And, you know, I got a great lesson on this from my dental hygienist, Jackie. Really? Yeah. So <laughs> Jackie's great. She's like a Da Vinci with cleaning my teeth. But I remember a couple years ago, I'm sitting in the dentist's chair and Jackie's about to clean my teeth. And I said to her, I said, Jackie, you know, you're the dental expert, right? I mean, there's all these different high-powered, high-tech toothbrushes on the market. Like, is there one specific one that you recommend over all the other ones that's going to get me better outcomes? And she, you know, looks me right in the eye. She takes her little goggles off and her mask off, and she looks at me and she laughs. She says, you want to know which one's the best? It's the one that you use twice a day. Right, yeah. So really, there's a lot of roads to becoming a better leadership, mm -hmm. but the key is to try something, to do something, and also then to notice the result you get mm -hmm. and then if it's working keep doing it and if mm -hmm. it's not adjust your approach right sure. it's just to keep doing that sure. is to be able to do that the fact is you know there's this myth that success is this straight line right that you go from here to there but the mm -hmm. fact is it's not right it's it's ups and downs and mm -hmm. so it's learning from that learning from your experience I mean because there are people who like let's say in a corporate or business environment who have 20 years of experience, mm -hmm. and then there are people who have one year of experience 20 times because right. they haven't learned their lesson, right. Right? so they keep doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. 
So, you know, I think CrossFit is a great metaphor for that because, look, the box doesn't lie. The results don't lie, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the barbell doesn't lie. You know how you're doing. So it's a great metaphor for anyone who wants to get stronger in every aspect of their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ben Bergeron. Are you familiar with Ben Bergeron? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Yeah. He says uh, either you win or you learn. Yeah. Yeah, there's no losing. Totally. Right? It, depending on how your mindset is. You can yeah. always learn from other mistakes or failures that you have, and that's what gets people to success, I think. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Cool. All right, so uh, to all the people listening, you can learn more and you can sign up for Alan's uh, monthly leadership newsletter called Building Strong Leaders at alanhunkins.com. That's A-L-A-I-N-H-U-N-K-I-N-S.com. We'll also post um, some links to how you can reach out to Alan. We'll post about his book as well. And his book, Cracking the Leadership Code, Connection, Communication, Collaboration, will be published by Prager Press in November of 2018. So make sure you look out for that. All right. Thanks, Alan. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure. Total pleasure. Thanks.